Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Friends, family, and supporters of OMBAC, we hope that this video finds you well. I'm Janet Sanchez Enriquez, and I'm reaching out to you on behalf of the Organización Mexicana de Practicantes del Análisis Conductual Aplicado, or OMBAC. OMPAC is a nonprofit organization founded in 2021 by passionate professionals dedicated to the field of applied behavior analysis. We are committed to disseminating the science and supporting professional education, preparation, and training across our Mexican populations. Today, we're reaching out to our incredible community with a simple but crucial request. OMPAC needs your help please check out the link to our short video in the show. Welcome notes. to another episode of the Bayer Speak Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Raman. Today on the podcast, we've got three out of four members of the current uh, board of directors of UMPAC. And uh, we'll get into what that means in a little bit. Um, and uh, But we've got uh, Barasolva Hernandez, Mariana de las Santos, and Janet Enrique. Welcome. Hi, Ben. Thank you for having us. So glad you could be here. Uh, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge that I am producing this podcast on the lands of the Tlaman, Comox, Tlehus, and Homoko First Nations, who were one, uh, who were a borderless community before my uh, colonizer ancestors came in and separated them into reserves. So before we get started, maybe just a little bit of an introduction uh, uh, from all four of you. Just tell, tell, tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of, you know, your your kind of origin story for getting into the field of behavior analysis and uh, and kind of, uh, you know, what led you to uh, to uh, to meet each other and and start having these conversations. So maybe I'll, I'll start I'll start clockwise on my screen with uh, Barasova. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you, Ben, for having us here with you. And my history, my story with behavior analysis. Well, um, I, I I was born in Mexico, in Mexico City, and I studied uh, psychology. So I remember that I took a class about behavior analysis. And the class was uh, taught by an amazing teacher. Uh, his name is Carlos Brunner. He was a former student of Nate Schoenfeld, like several years ago. Mm. And I fell in love uh, with his class, with behavior analysis. I thought that this is amazing. It makes a lot of sense. I, I like the way that behavior analysis approach to all human behavior, how you can explain and predict and, and change. So I fell in love with behavior analysis at that class. Uh, so I then started working on his lab because he still has an operant conditioning lab yeah, at the National Autonomous University of Mexico. So I did my honor thesis there as an undergrad. Then I continue uh, doing my PhD with him on basic research, uh, I wanted to uh, to practice, but I, I couldn't find someone who would teach me or supervise me in order to have a good practice. So I had to finish uh, my PhD, and then I applied for a scholarship for the Mexican government, 
And I asked uh, Tim Ballmer if he would accept me. And he was so nice and he said yes. So uh, I did a postdoc with, uh, with Tim Ballmer. I met a lot of cool people there. And in the meantime, uh, I also met Mariana and Janet because we share a lot of common uh, interest. Uh, and we share our passion towards behavior analysis, to helping other people, um, to also disseminating the field. So that's a little like the story. Then uh, I lived in Florida for two years, mm. and then I uh, came back to Mexico to a state that is called Veracruz. It's in the Gulf of Mexico. Okay. And uh, that's where I am right now. I'm a researcher at Universidad Veracruzana. So you're researching, what kind of research are you doing? I uh, do basic and applied research. So uh, uh, research. Um, I mostly work on pediatric feeding problems, mm. but I also uh, do research with uh, uh, animals, with rats specifically, on, on, on basic processes. Gotcha. Right on. Okay. Oh, go, going down to the four o'clock mark on my clockwise clock here. Mariana, you're next. Hi, Ben. So happy to be here, too, and thankful to have the opportunity to share our story and just talk about everything we do with all this passion that Barto was mm. already describing. So a little bit about my story. I was born in the U.S., actually, in Eagle Pass, Texas. It's a small town border with Piedras Negras, mm. but we lived in Piedras Negras, um, and I was raised in Piedras Negras until I graduated from prepa. I forgot. <laughs> What's high prepa? School. High school. There mm. you go. So, so easy. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't practice a lot of English. So I graduated from high school and there's not a lot of college opportunity in, uh, in Piedras Negras. So it was either something in Texas or... Uh, Monterrey. Most of people go to either San Antonio, Austin, or Monterrey. I decided to come to Monterrey because I love Mexico. Mm. And I did my undergrad in psychopedagogy. And during my practicum, I was, uh, they gave me a list of schools and preschools where I was supposed to do my, my practicum. But I started to uh, wonder, like, how things were going in, in the U.S. as far as uh, autism, how was that field? I was in love with uh, working with kids, but I was also very interested in autism because I have um, a cousin with autism. And I was always mm. so intrigued of everything, his behaviors and why he wasn't interested in all these social interactions and things like that. So I lived in, in, in his home with his family in that moment in Monterrey. And my aunt was the one who connected me with uh, Alonso Andrews, who is my mentor. He's the first person who talked to me about ABA. I had no idea it existed. Mm -hmm. So I contact him. And of course, I'm talking with the school. Can I go and do my practicum over there? And they're like, no, because it's not easy to track and things like that. I'm so thankful it worked out because if it weren't for that move and that connection with Alonso Andrews, and I wouldn't have been exposed to ABA, at least mm. not in that moment of my life. 
So I was a teacher assistant then at the Autism Treatment Center. It was with very severe cases. They, they had multiple diagnoses like autism and schizophrenia, autism and bipolar disorder. Mm. And they had very, very, very aggressive behaviors. So I was slowly exposed to um, ABA. I remember Alonso told me, I'm only going to give you one advice, get certified. And I'm like, certified in what? Mm. Um, so he tells me ABA, he sends out the information. And I was just there for a summer. So I come back and completed my undergrad. But weeks after getting my, my um, weeks after my graduation, I moved back to San Antonio, started again with Alonso Andrews. And that, that's when I started taking my certification classes mm. for the BCABA back then, because I only have my undergrad. Mm. And I fell in love. I couldn't believe things could be done the way, I mean, so, so fast. It was a challenge, of course, but one-on-one -on -one, being able to teach these amazing skills to, to kids, to parents. I worked with grandparents. I had the opportunity because I'm bilingual um, to, to be in contact with a lot of Hispanic people. So that was like the best. Mm. I was a lot of changes happened during my stay in, in Texas. I was there for three years and then I came back. So almost 10 years ago uh, to open a clinic in um, for kids with developmental delays in autism and problem behaviors. <clears throat> it's called Bloom Children's Center. Mm. And along the way, I did my master's degree in education. I took the BCBA exam. And that's that's where I am right now. I met Barso at around 2015. Mm. I met Janet through uh, Lee Mason, who is another mentor, and Alonso. And we've been working on different projects since then. As you can see, we're not just colleagues; we're sisters. I mean, it's 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 beautiful to connect in mm. these projects where. We all love and we want to do many, many things for the Spanish-speaking population. Sorry, I got excited. I think I talked too much. <laughs> no, I love it. That's 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 the best. That's the best kind of talking. Um, and so, and I think you mentioned before, were you you were the first first BCBA or in, in Mexico or is that right? So Mexican, yes. Well, I have double nationality. So mm. when I first got here in, in 2013, Jonathan Hunt was the only BCBA registered in the BACB. So I contacted him and he said, <laughs> he's going to laugh when he hears it, but he basically said, good luck, Mariana. Things are not good over here. It's so difficult to practice behavior mm. analysis, at least in the private sector, like I wanted to, uh, a private clinic, for uh, therapy for kids with autism. Mm. So second, but first Mexican, because he's he's from the U.S. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. All right, Janet. Yeah, so um, again, just want to reiterate our thanks and gratitude for inviting us to the show. We couldn't be happier to share, you mm. know, our story and just kind of share our love for behavior analysis. Um, mm. So... I think that one of the biggest things that unites um, us really is um, that our origin stories are just, you know, we share a lot of the same 
uh, passion for behavior analysis, right? And um, mentors. So we'll get back to that because uh, that's how kind of we all got connected. But mm. um, my background, um, you know, I, I was born in Monterrey, Nuevo León, Mexico. And so um, I have dual citizenship. My mm. um, I, I, I grew up in Mexico until maybe about six years old. And um, my father was born in Flint, Michigan, and my mother was uh, born in, in Mexico. And so um, we ended up moving back to, to Texas um, or moving to Texas um, after we had lived in Monterrey for a while. Mm. Uh, and so I really grew up in South Texas the majority of my life um, in small, you know, border towns and uh, Corpus near Corpus Christi in a little town called Alice, Texas, very mm. small um, San Antonio and, and, you know, um, Austin and, and Laredo, Texas. And so, um, I have very strong ties to Mexico and just, um, I have a very strong interest in supporting our, 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 um, our culture, right. And our families that may have challenges in accessing those specialized resources and, mm. and programs. Um, my background is not in education. Uh, I actually went to school for um, criminal criminal justice and sociology, and I really had dreams of becoming a lawyer um, and going to law school. But I came into autism and behavior analysis through my brother. So my brother was diagnosed with autism um, at three and a half. We're about 17 and a half years apart. Um, So I became really interested in just helping my parents and just navigate the school and therapeutic services and translating a lot of information for my mother uh, because she's a Spanish speaker. So I attended ARD meetings, right? A- you know, IEP meetings. And um, thankfully, you know, I, I got into contact with a lot of great people that knew what they were doing and were behavior analysts and um, stumbled onto verbal behavior. And that mm. was my love into behavior analysis. Mm. Um, the minute that, you know, uh, we saw some language develop in my brothers, that language acquisition came through, I was sold and I just mm. wanted to learn more about verbal behavior and I wanted to learn everything there was about behavior analysis. And um, I was very fortunate to have met really sweet, generous people that guided me through those learning opportunities. Mm. Um, and, you know, like I think Mariana and Varsovia had said, you know, you, you meet the right people and they're teachers for life. So they completely changed my life. Uh, my brother's therapist changed all of our lives. Right. Mm. Um, so I kind of, you know, took a different route. Um, I started off in social services. I was a social worker for child protective services. I worked in federal probation, writing mm. pre-sentencing reports for wow. uh, the U.S. District Court System, which I loved. But, um, you know, behavior analysis was was what I really enjoyed. And I felt like that was my connection to families and my connection to helping, um, you know, increase quality of life in, in other mm. individuals. So mm. went back, um, left a, a federal job and went and got my master's in autism interventions and applied behavior analysis and, um, you know, ended up becoming an autism consultant 
for public schools, love doing professional development, went back and finished some of my hours for, um, you know, my uh, practicum hours where I met, where I reconnected with Alonso Andrews. Um, and so Mariana and I share the same mentor and, you know, supervisor. And um, that was my introduction to these amazing women. Um, Mariana and Varsovia knew each other. I was doing some work, you know, with Mariana's mentor. We started doing work together. Um, you know, we share the same love for verbal behavior. And we haven't stopped doing research, I think, together and working together since, since we met. Um, Varsovia and I have shared projects and in developing resources and um, caregiver training for families across Mexico through, you know, the Saba grant um, a couple of years ago, had a great time doing that. So um, we're just thankful to be able to give something back, I think, since, you know, our, our supervisors and our mentors have given so much to us. So, um, and right now I'm, I'm finishing up my PhD program uh, at UNC Charlotte with even more amazing mentors that mm. we can't say, you know, enough about. So we're just happy to be able to, to have a, to have these opportunities. That's awesome. Are you a solopreneur running your business alone and need help getting more exposure to your target audience while growing your brand? At Beal Marketing Group, we specialize in delivering comprehensive marketing solutions tailored to your unique needs. Our team of seasoned experts excels in crafting creative strategies that captivate your target audience, build brand authority, generate high-quality leads, and streamline your business processes. Whether you're seeking a brand makeover, effective lead generation, or a plug-and-play solution that takes care of everything for you, we have you covered. Services can include strategy sessions, video editing, social media management, brand board development, and even a virtual assistant. When you choose Beal Marketing Group, you're partnering with a team of passionate professionals who treat your business as our own. We go above and beyond to understand your goals, target audience, and unique challenges to craft tailor-made strategies that produce remarkable results. Schedule your free discovery call today at bmgfreeconsult.com. That's bmgfreeconsult.com. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is Mexico. Curious about sort of um, kind of ABA and autism in, in Mexico, kind of, because I, I've been sort of having these experiences as I talk to people from all these different countries and it's, and it's so vast, sort of the the differences around both kind of culturally the the cultural kind of understanding of autism um, and the services for that. You know, for so for example, I was talking to someone in in, in Ghana or Nigeria. I can't remember which one because one guest was from Ghana, one was from Nigeria, so it was a back and forth conversation. And they were talking about um, you know this sort of you you probably heard a lot of the conversation around the medical versus social model of disability. It's happening a lot, especially with kind of the neurodiversity movement and whatnot. Well, in 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 some of these countries, there's a there's another model that that 
that's even before the medical model, and it's the religious model of disability. Um, and you know, and these are countries where there was these are areas where folks have never even heard the word autism and actually thought, you know, these were sort of, you know, either you know, a spiritual gift or or a spiritual curse, um, um, or something in between, and you know, sort of the the ways to sort of address any issues was, you know, through spiritual means, you know, whether it's prayer or, you know, magic or, or, uh, you know, rituals, ceremony, that kind of thing. And, uh, um, and then, you know, and then sort of the, the stigma of autism and whatnot in some of those countries is, 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 you know, reminds us of, reminds me of some, you know, some of our, days 200 years ago or something in north america uh oh and then in other cultures it's the opposite it's uh you know uh, it's it, it's it's something we should live up to it's a very inclusive um you know never there's they're never a problem there's never been a barrier like uh, some indigenous folks i've talked to about how you know uh, they're the most welcoming sort of group and folks with autism are actually lifted up to a pedestal in some ways. Um, so anyway, it's just really interesting. I, I've learned not to make assumptions about sort of, you know, ABA and autism in different countries. And so I'm curious about, you know, and, and imagine, and imagine there's going to be sort of a, a you know, a, a city perspective and then maybe a more rural perspective too. Um, uh, certainly I know in Senegal, when I talked to folks there in, in, you know, in, in the main city there, you know, there were some services and there were some things going on, but in the rural areas, it was, you know, witch doctor was always sort of the first line of, of defense. And then, you know, eventually maybe some kinds of services, so lots of different things. So question, yeah, that's a very, maybe unneeded background to the question of um, what is sort of the, you know, I guess the history of kind of ABA as being provided as a service for folks with autism or autistic folks in, in Mexico, but also what is kind of the general, or maybe that's not the right word, but what are kind of the perceptions or maybe potential stigma around autism in Mexico? Like, Mariana, do you want to go ahead and maybe you can share a little bit about the experiences of your families? And within the clinic? Yes, sure. So hmm. I was thinking many things and, and I yeah. think it's a <clears throat> very, very interesting question um, considering um, in, in Mexico, world religion is something very, very, very important. So there's that part, but I'm going to speak more for Monterrey, uh, that, where I am, and also uh, the private sector, because that's who I mostly work with. And I think that's gonna be the most advantaged sector. And, and I think being in Monterrey, it's also very uh, beneficial because we're so close to the border. We're like two hours away from Texas and we're somehow, not somehow, we're highly influenced by, by the US. I mean, the fact that the people that were here, the behavior analysts, that's where we went to get our certification and then came back and opened clinics and were the ones doing workshops. And 
and associations and things like that. So I think people more up north are more exposed to information, good doctors. We have uh, developmental pediatricians. I don't hear a lot of those uh, in, in many, many cities of Mexico, but in Monterrey, for example, we have two very good ones, or one is going back and forth from, from Mexico City. So it's, I think the situation is varies, right, among, among cities. So a good thing, and this is something I've seen in, in my 10 years in, in practice since I came back from, from the U.S. to start Bloom, um, families in the beginning were, uh, speaking of autism, but also ABA. So just as a parenthesis, I think it's an important parenthesis to throw in there. There's not many uh, insurance companies, and these are private insurance companies, right, mm. that provide support for uh, people who are diagnosed with autism, for example. Mm. So that's the thing. Starting with that, that's something I, I like to comment because it changes the perspective. Instead of being reinforcing, it's the complete opposite. It's mm. um, if you go into a school as a parent and say, my kid has autism and, and these are true stories. I mean, and, and the schools, uh, I'm not pointing fingers at the schools. Mm. They, of course, they need the, the right resources, right, to get these cases. Yep. But then parents with not very severe cases of autism rather stay <laughs> Uh, shut their mouth and don't say anything about the diagnosis because it would change their future within the school. Mm. So instead of getting IEPs like Janet was saying, that's something amazing that they do in, in the U.S. or providing extra support in any um, possible way, it's the opposite. So again, this is a private sector family that can cover for a shadow teacher or a monitor mm. teacher, that's how they call it here, that can go with the child to the school and help him uh, making changes to the curriculum, to his tests, teaching uh, specific skills, creating a visual schedule, things like that. But those are the families that can afford. Mm. Last week I spoke to, and maybe I'm going into a different topic, but I want to make that comparison mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with the public sector, which <clears throat> we've had the intention and, and I think part of our mission with OMPAC, which we'll be covering um, later on, is to get to the to the public sector. So we try to offer our help as we can, but we haven't been able to get in there. But last week I spoke to a, to a teacher um, I remember I, I told Barso, I don't know if I even had the opportunity to tell Janet, mm. but we we went into a Zoom and she heard about us, about OMPAC, because a friend of her, they started special education here in, in Monterrey. It's called La Normal. Mm. Um, so special education. And then, well, she went into a, a public kindergarten here in Monterrey. And her friend, who's a BCBA who lives in Austin, connected her with me. So I spoke with her and she started telling me like everything that went on in the classroom. And I was like, can I go in tomorrow? Like, I want to help. Mm. She's saying she wants, uh, I mean, she gets 
every year she's getting more and more, right? We see the CDC statistics and it's going higher and higher every mm-hmm. year or every year that they publish, um, or that they update, right? But she's saying like she has maybe five or six kids with different diagnoses in a classroom. So Down syndrome, autism, very severe behaviors. And they're like, they're not paying them more. They are not assigning extra resources in the, in the room. Mm. And the training, because I started very uh, curiously asking about the type of training that they get, right? As teachers. And she basically said, um, again, and I'm not judging because this is government funds that goes straight to what they think work. Yeah. And I know there's a process for that, but anyway, so all the behaviors, and this is part of a maybe 40 hour training that they got in autism, all the behaviors are sensory and they need to give the child a mordedera, a thing to bite mm. every time they have a behavior. That's literally the strategy that they gave them. And she's a very smart teacher. She was like, Mariana, this doesn't make sense to me. Hmm. It doesn't make sense. I love the story because I got that insight to, I mean, there are hundreds of teachers who are given this training, who have hundreds of kids. And wow. this is just that area, the region that uh, of, of one person that I'm speaking to. So, I mean, I'm so thankful we had that talk because now I have a voice note. She sent me a voice note, a three-minute voice note. I need to tell you about a kid. She's already trying to consult and I know I cannot do that. I want to do it formally. And we as an organization want to do those type of trainings, but there's so much need. So I think I, I didn't answer mm-hmm. straight the, the question. I went also into maybe another topic, but I felt like they go together. No, I I, re- I think you did answer the question because there was a couple of things you said that I, you know, I hadn't thought about. I think the the first thing is just the proximity to the U.S., you know, and I didn't really think about that. And, and I should think about that because I'm in Canada. I'm on the other side, right? And we do lots of things here in Canada because the Americans do them or we learn them from the Americans. Um, certainly, you know, I, I mean, some of our, some of the history of ABA in Canada goes all the way as far back as the history of ABA in the U.S. I think that this, that article, the psychiatric nurse as the engineer, that was conducted in a Canadian institution uh, in Saskatchewan, um, which, uh, you know, I, I've been meaning to look out, look and see if anything else ever happened to that place. But um, so, yeah, you know, I think that's, you know, when, when I sort of, you know, give examples of sort of Senegal or you know, I've, I've had some really interesting conversations with folks in Brazil. Um, and, uh, you know, you think Brazil is, you know, a fairly developed country in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, and uh, and yet, you know, ABA for autism is is. There's not much happening, you know, there's not a lot of folks doing that work down there. ABA in Brazil has been primarily, you know, experimental. You know, and I'm sure Barsova, you're you're probably familiar with a lot of that and 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 some of those connections. Um, and so, you know, I had wondered, you know, what's what was like in Mexico, but of course, it's going to be there's going to be a lot of sort of you know influence and 
parallels and 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 of course as you all said with your origin story about you know going to school you know in whether in texas or in florida and, and you know and other states that are, that are that are close it's not surprising that sort of you know understanding of this stuff is more advanced maybe than say some other countries so uh you know i think you definitely answered that and then as far as sort of aba and you know i think you know, the problems you describe of sort of, you know, essentially the wealthy, only the wealthy parents can afford to really give those services. That's, that's everywhere. I mean, that's, that's, right. uh, yeah, that's here. That's in the yes. States. That's even in the U.S. still. I mean, right. um, um, and so, yeah, you know, and I think it sounds like, you know, from just the fact that ABA has probably been around a bit longer that maybe at least in the larger centers, you know, folks know about autism and diagnoses are available and so on. It's probably the same sort of problems in terms of wait lists as it is sort of everywhere on the planet um, for getting autism diagnoses. Um, but yeah, no, I think you definitely. I think um, that, you know, I think it's, it's, what we see is that there's just so much variability, you know, yeah. across the country, right? Yeah. Um, with just programming and services, um, you know, for 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 caregivers, um, specifically for for you know individuals that are experiencing a diagnosis of autism or you know uh, developmental disabilities. So there's absolutely huge challenges in addressing autism or developmental disabilities in Mexico that mm -hmm. can really be attributed to, as Mariana said, like, you know, just challenges in coordinating between professionals, whether mm. it's, you know, diagnostic services, right. Um, you know, challenges within their referral systems, because we have, you know, these, this private sector where families are paying out of pocket for their healthcare and then the public sector where maybe not everyone has access to, to those diagnostic services and programs, right? Mm. And then, you know, um, alongside all that is those, those socio-demographic variables that exist between our communities, where, like mm. you said earlier, you know, Mariana is speaking to the metropolitan uh, community, right? But then we also have, you know, communities that, may not have opportunities to access their, you know, community centers with hospitals mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. developmental, developmental pediatricians, like Mariana said earlier, right? So there's this challenge with just this infrastructure that has not necessarily been created to support families, whether mm -hmm. it's privately or in schools, in public schools. Um, so there's challenges in regards to, well, how do I meet this child's, you know, um, learning plan and these very specific unique needs. Um, and not to mention that there's very limited, um, you know, uh, information, right. That's related to supporting the education of these unique learners. Hmm. You know, the preparation is, the, is, is lacking sometimes, you know, um, behavior analysis, and this is a whole other area, right. Behavior analysis in Mexico primarily lives in a different college, Right. It's 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 not necessarily the College of Education. It's going to live within the psychology department, mm. which Varsovia will definitely speak to. Right. But so I think there's just um, 
sometimes when you, like you said earlier, there are similar barriers, mm. you know, to, to supporting um, our population in, in Mexico that is, is what sometimes we experience even here in the U.S. in certain mm-hmm. portions of our nation, you know, mm. um, especially even in South Texas. It's, it's something that we, we felt, too, with our, with our community and the border. So I, I think this is a, a nice opportunity to work together yeah. right, with other professionals, too. Yeah. Priscilla, you said you, you, you work in a, in a lab and you do research now. So what, what, what kind of sort of training for behavior analysis is available in Mexico? That's a great uh, question, and I was thinking about that, and among other things, uh, mm-hmm. to comment. And first, like um, behavior analysis arrived in Mexico as a part of the psychology departments. Mm-hmm. So the people in psychology departments uh, were the ones who were reading, I don't know, Skinner books of the first book that were uh, released. And I think that it was a movement in the psych, in general in psychology in Mexico to be more experimental or to have mm. more empirical basis. And that's why a behavior analysis enter the universities. And up to now, I think that uh, most people even identify behavior analysis as a field of psychology, mm. not as something that is separate uh, from psychology. Mm. Mm. So, for example, I studied uh, psychology as an undergrad. And I had classes about behavior analysis. Right. So it wasn't separate. And even um, for me, it was hard later on, like to see that it's not the same, like, because mm-hmm. you are, uh, that's the way that everything works here. So it's a part of, of psychology. And then as long as you start to read and prepare more, like you realize that now we're not talking about the, the same thing at all. Mm, mm. So that's uh, like the first part. And we have some undergrad uh, education or uh, universities that teach uh, behavior analysis, but also like as a part of psychology. Right. Maybe uh, the undergrad education here, like it could last for four years or four and a half years. And maybe at the end of that uh, time, uh, you will have some classes in a in particularly about behavior analysis, but that happens only in a few universities, like the uh, one that uh, in which I studied. Mm. And then you can access um, uh, the graduate studies, like a PhD of, or a master's. And for the PhD, I think that we have maybe three or four that are more like behavioral science. And you will have uh, for some a lot of behavior analysis, but in, it depends of the university that you that you go, and also it depends of your advisor. Like your advisor can, uh, if the focus of your advisor is behavior analysis, that you will have a lot of education in behavior analysis. Mm. But uh, if the focus of of your advisor is not behavior analytic, uh, maybe you will have like some classes. Um, mm. But uh, you won't have all the content that you usually see, for example, in the USA, that you already have some basic content that you have mm-hmm, to cover. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, I think that's a, a difference. And also I think that the case is similar to what you were mentioning about Brazil. 
Mm. I think that here we have also like more uh, um, experimental analysis uh, labs than apply. Well, actually, mm. yes, I don't know if there is like one like big, uh, like applied. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and also I feel like it's also like more theoretical in some parts. Mm. Uh, so experimental and uh, theoretical, uh, like analysis mm. and discussions. And you also have some people doing applied work, but again, maybe not be it's exactly the same as in the USA. So, uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, differences. and But you do have the, the, the opportunity. And now relating to what uh, Mariana and Janet were saying about mm. the Mexican system. Yes. Uh, we mostly have a public system uh, for education, which covers uh, education and health. So, um, for example, for kids uh, with the diagnosis, um, you have the public health system that has some units uh, uh, where uh, parents uh, can uh, take their kids. But we have a huge problem, as Janet and Marina were saying, that uh, maybe they are not well trained. They are very mm. nice people with a lot mm. of uh, motivation to do it right but they are not receiving the best uh, training. Mm. And even if uh, we have the facilities, uh, people are not trained. We actually mm. saw a, a um, publication that was talking about that. They made a census of the facilities in Mexico that could actually provide services. Mm. And there are a lot, but they are not well-trained or they didn't have a behavior analyst uh, mm. or someone doing a behavior analysis uh, there. So it's like it, we have some structure already, but we need the people, the right people, like taking those uh, positions. And that's for the health uh, like services. Mm -hmm. We also have the educational public uh, services, and they also have some uh, special schools uh, mm -hmm. for with kids with different uh, diagnoses. But again, as Mariana was saying, like, the training and the preparation, it's something that is very uh, uh, difficult. And for example, for people who want to become a behavior analyst, now mm. going to who wants to study, I think that a good thing is uh, that um, you can have a lot of opportunities uh, to study as an undergrad or graduate student. Uh, for example, in Mexico, all people entering uh, the graduate school has the right to have a scholarship and and you pay like almost nothing on uh, on fees on tu mm. uh, tuition yeah so you have a, you just have to enter to one program at a mm. public university and you will have a scholarship so that's a good thing and for example yeah. in my case that's why what allows me to study and to study behavior analysis uh, for example i mm, I was the daughter of a single mother, so without uh, like those facilities, like I won't be able to to study uh, a PhD, to travel to the USA, get my yeah. certification, and all that. So no, it's like uh, it's mm. like good things, but also like yeah, there are yeah, a lot yeah. of things that, and that uh, I think that also, uh, and this is something that we have uh, talked, uh, Mariana, Janet, Tania, and and other members that. The situation in Mexico, uh, because of the situation in Mexico, a lot of the effort should go 
like to public policies, because mm. if you get to the government, maybe it's going to be like a waterfall. So, uh, so you will have to develop more resources, mm. maybe have uh, more training. So that's also one of the of the focus of OMPAC. We want to impact on a bigger mm. level. Awesome. We're going to get into OMPAC in just a second, and you're probably going to cover this when we start talking about OMPAC. But I'm just curious, um, are, is there currently any sort of program that, you know, has like a like a verified course sequence in Mexico? No. So folks, just no, folks, folks have to go to the American universities, essentially, to. Or an online program, because mm. there's some Latino programs. Um, like. Uh, Spain has one, ABA Oh, Spania. of course. Okay. Um, and, and I mean, it's a, it's a very good program. It has been evolving and mm. it's accessible. So I know of many, many people from mm. Latin America oh, who very have good. taken that, for example. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Right on. Cool. Okay. Um, so, Unpack. What's that? Where do we start yeah. the name? OMPAC, um, in Spanish, is Organización Mexicana de Practicantes del Análisis Conductual Aplicado. Gotcha. That's a Mexican Association for ABA Practitioners. Okay. It was officially established in June of 2021. Hmm. Barso and I, since we were in, in Mexico, since the, I think since the first time we met, and it mm. was around 2014 or 15, I can't remember, at a conference in Abai in Chicago. We talked about just creating an organization and what we're doing in, in OMPAC. But the idea was there, but we never did it until we got the, the news <laughs> of mm. the changes of the BATB. Mm. Mm. But OMPAC... That's the name. I don't want to jump to another topic. Maybe Varso and Janet can uh, share the, the vision and the mission of OMPAC and why we exist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and maybe it was even a little bit about sort of why you wanted to create this organization in the first place, too, would be interesting. Yes. And so we are a nonprofit organization. And we are all uh, made of uh, passionate and committed uh, professionals in applied behavior analysis. As mm. Mariana was saying, we started to have a lot of conversations about what's happening in Mexico with ABA, how can we support and uh, our science, is how can we develop our science in Mexico? Mm. So we have uh, we started to have those conversations. Then the announcement of the BAC became, and that was like the uh, like the punch that we need uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in order to advance on, on this. So most of the founding uh, members uh, we are uh, people that are already behavior analysts. Most of us are certified by the BACB mm. at, at different levels and with a lot of experience uh, also in different uh, settings. So I think that's one of the main points that define us, that we have a lot of, of training in, in behavior analysis. And 
why also uh, to start this uh, organization? Well, uh, I, we think that it's important to have an organization like this and uh, eventually uh, one of our goals that maybe Janet can uh, talk a little more in a few minutes is to have a certification. So we think that it's very important to protect uh, the, um, the consumers, the people who are receiving services uh, from other people who said that they are behavior analysts. So I think that one of the main points is that we want to we want to be sure that the people that are providing the services have the right expertise, and also the people receiving uh, having receiving the services that they can be sure that uh, the people are uh, properly trained. Uh, we think that it's important uh, to also have this organization because there is a lack of resources in Spanish. We all have work like translating books or or doing some materials, videos, uh, a lot of things. So we know that we need to have more uh, Spanish resources and also not just like Spanish, but to culturally adapt those resources. Mm. We think that that's something uh, really big and we want to focus also like developing that on on OMPAC. We cannot take what is done in the USA and just try to translate it because uh, we don't think that that's going to, to work. In the USA, it has its own history and also its own development. Even the certification didn't start like in the way that it is now. So they had to, to develop a lot. And also, uh, we want to protect uh, the field of behavior analysis in Mexico, and that's another mm. reason of why uh, we are um, having this uh, organization. Yeah, so I think that, you know, um, I should share our mission. So mm. our mission is primarily to guide uh, those professionals interested in practicing applied behavior analysis by um, really establishing those culturally relevant standards and providing mm. training, right? That's necessary to support those uh, socially significant behaviors across our communities. Um, like Varsovia said, there's there's certainly a lot of need. Uh, we recognize um, also, you know, there's, um, you know, pseudoscience is, is, is a critical problem, right? That needs to be addressed across Mexico. Mm. Um, and so, you know, um, this is yet another opportunity for us to ensure that education and application of uh, behavior analysis is is there and it's done appropriately. Mm. You know, our goal is to respond and to discourage any type of questionable practice, to disseminate the practice of um, of ABA in in Mexico with the highest of standards, and at the same time to be able to provide that high quality. Um, you know, empirical um, teaching and, and resources for those individuals that are seeking to expand their knowledge of applied behavior analysis, whether it's a school teacher, whether it's, you know, a researcher, whether it's a student, a graduate student, you know, in, in a university, we are um, hopeful in encouraging and facilitating that dialogue amongst professionals in Mexico, right, and caregivers. Um, so, I think that, you know, what moving forward, what, you know, our goal and our focus is, is ensuring that, you know, we provide those relevant platforms to support those learning opportunities for, for that audience, whether it's a student, whether it's a researcher, whether it's a caregiver or a practitioner. Um, 
And then um, essentially, you know, uh, it, is, it, it is about establishing those culturally relevant practice practices, right? Um, and those opportunities that can support um, the training and, and the learning. So I think that that's what um, where our goal and, 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 you know, our focus is. And um, we're hopeful that during, you know, um, these next couple of years, we can get that started. Cool. How many behavior analyst folks do you think there are in Mexico? Do you have, do you have any demographics or stats on any of that mm -hmm. stuff? Yeah, so there's 14, but including RBT. 14 uh, people registered in the BACB as RBTs, BCABAs. There's only one BCABA and BCBA. So that's one, four, 14? Yes. Wow. Okay. So you four are almost a third of the behavior analysts in Mexico. Uh, who are certified mm. yeah mm -hmm. okay yeah so and, that's why it's different to to count them like with the certification yeah mm. but people that maybe have received uh, like some training, training yeah mm -hmm. we don't know exactly okay. so there is yeah there there is a distinction right that that should be made that mm -hmm. um we want we also want to ensure that those individuals that have that training right um that we connect with those with those with those uh, individuals, and that mm. we help um, support their learning, and that uh, we can also form collaborative uh, mm. opportunities with them. Mm. Yeah. Because mm. so you had mentioned, you know, you wanted to make sure, you know, that folks were practicing at, at a standard at a level, you know, that you know, that, that that's appropriate and whatnot. Are there a lot of folks that are sort of claiming to practice behavior analysis in Mexico that, that, that maybe aren't? We're trying to get a more accurate answer than just saying, yes, there are. Um, we have heard, at least in my practice, from families and then we check in the BACV or other credentialing boards and, and we don't find a name. So, yes, sometimes they say things that can be misleading, especially in a country where it's not uh, a, a very, ABA is not, it's still not very well recognized as mm. in the U.S. Um, so, yes, but for example, within OMPAC, we work by commissions and there's a, com a committee that is called the Ethics Committee. And Varso is actually the lead on that. There's also Berenice, who couldn't make it today, mm -hmm. Jonathan Hunt. And they're doing uh, an amazing work. And even Fabiola, they're doing a, a research. Maybe you can tell them, tell us more about that, Varso, because I think it's relevant to the question. Mm. Yes. Uh, well, in that uh, commission, we are uh, working towards developing an an ethics code mm. for behavior analysts, but in, in Mexico. And as a part of that, uh, we are uh, asking some questions to people that already practice, specifically uh, 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 regarding uh, uh, autism. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. And we have a, a developed a questionnaire and we are receiving some answers about the most common uh, ethics um, uh, dilemmas uh, yep. that, that they face and some general questions about, uh, for example, uh, what kind of practice uh, they have and the idea is to gather more, more information because uh, related to, to the question that you were asking, um, mm -hmm. we don't have a specific number, but we have seen in some websites from some clinics or service providers that they mentioned that they provide uh, some kind of behavioral analytic uh, uh, treatment. And something like you don't know, like what does that look like? Uh, in, I have the, the experience of actually going to one place and see like, what uh, do you do or, or do you take data? And they were like, no. So I was like, oh, so this is not really a behavior analysis if you're not like doing this. So we're trying to gather uh, numbers and to see like mm -hmm. what's the actual state uh, of practitioners and specifically uh, of behavior analyst. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we have we have a lot of uh, things to do, and 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 it sounds like maybe the pseudoscience you're talking about that too. So is that pretty common as well? There is a lack of diversity when it comes to educational material depicting Black children in the field of applied behavior analysis. Human Expressions gives Black and Brown children realistic and detailed images of kids who look like them modeling everyday skills that may be difficult for them to communicate or express. At Human Expressions, the benefits of representation for black and brown kids in educational curricula are clear. Increased self-esteem, reducing stereotypes, and increased validation and support. To learn more, go to www.humanexpressions.org. That's human, H-U-E-M-A-N, expressions.org. Are you a BCBA supervisor looking to streamline your practice? Or maybe you're working towards your BCBA and need to find the right supervisor. Whomhouse offers tools that make supervision so much more enjoyable for both supervisor and supervisee. For supervisors, they offer easy meeting documentation, competency tracking, monthly verification forms, a built-in supervision curriculum, and so much more. For supervisees, Whomhouse has a fieldwork tracker with built-in auditing, monthly verification forms, a curriculum, quizzes, and more. If you're looking for a supervisor, they even have a supervision marketplace where you can connect with BCBAs until you find your perfect match, kind of like professional dating. For more information, go to whomhouse.com forward slash speak or search whomhouse on Google. The second secret word is collaboration. Very, yes. Mm. That is, and yeah. sometimes it's sad because even when they are getting ABA and then they go with a shaman, like we've, we've literally have uh, families in the past that attribute credits or the advancement of their child to that other uh, pseudoscience approach and mm. with a lot of ABA therapy. It is, mm. it is a thing and Mexico is also very... Um, I don't know. They go with moda, like you've heard of FOMO, like fear of missing out. Like, yeah. 
a family is trying a new approach or somebody came into town to promote the cure for autism and they all want to go hear what that's about and mm. they all want to try it out. Yeah. Uh, at least in Monterrey, we see a lot of that. So we have to be constantly reminding parents like, hey, let us know if you try anything uh, additional to what you're getting here and with other professionals that we already know. Um, but it's a thing. Mm-hmm. So you've got 14 behavior analysts or folks that are, you know, in that realm, RBTs included. Um, does that mean you've got 14 members in OMPAC or are there more? No, we are actually not all of the behavior analysts are part of OMPAC. Mm. Uh, for example, we have tried contacting some of them at the beginning of the establishing the organization. Some of them said they didn't have time. Let me know when you make an event, things mm. like that. Mm. Uh, but uh, the people who, who are part of OMPAC are either in Mexico or in the U.S., but mm. we're all bilingual and we're all somehow connected to Mexico. So like mm. Janet is between San Antonio, Texas and right. UNC because she's doing her PhD, but her heart is in Mexico. Mm. <laughs> and that's the same situation with other OMPAC members. Mm. And I was actually, I was going to ask that too. Are there, you know, because I imagine because, you know, of insurance and all those different things, are there a lot of folks that are that are are there a lot of Mexican folks that are practicing, you know, possibly as behavior analysts, but solely in the states that live in the states now and have sort of moved to the states because, you know, there wasn't a system or funding or whatever to work in Mexico. And so do you yeah. think there's probably a lot of those folks and that maybe one of your you know longer term visions is maybe more folks might come home? Well, hopefully. Mm. I don't think we're ever going to be at that level with the U.S. Mm. Uh, Mm. I still get offers from clinics in the U.S. and I'm Mm. tempted. I'm tempted because Mm. it's nowhere near. Even if I uh, work in the private sector with families that can afford it's it's nowhere near because uh, that that can be another topic. But the the mm-hmm. government and and there's many many things that I don't think we'll ever get at that point. The salary will be, I think, a thousand uh, times more attractive in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure if we get more opportunities for BCBAs to involve. And with all the remote work going on, I am sure they may consider it. We we mm. did have a member that had to move back because of that. She lived in, in Merida and she moved back um, to the U.S. Mm. because of that. But hopefully. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. So, so, what, so what are then some of the big kind of... Uh, Goals for OMPAC. Like, what, 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 what are you, what are you, what are you trying to make happen in in Mexico? So I think it's you know um, a little bit of what I mentioned right earlier. I think mm-hmm. what we're looking to do right is 
is to disseminate the practice of applied behavior analysis across mm-hmm. Mex- our Mexican communities, mm-hmm. right? With high with higher standards, um, providing mm-hmm. that uh, high quality, uh, you know, resources, right, and education mm-hmm. for those um, seeking to expand their knowledge on applied mm-hmm. behavior analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at again those culturally relevant practices, mm-hmm. and you know, ideally, you know, is is it is about establishing you know, our verbal community within, mm. within Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. Conducting those regular events, um, mm. conducting workshops and webinars and training opportunities for disseminating, mm-hmm. um, you know, our, our, our science, um, mm. and then providing training in those, those subspecialties that are within applied behavior analysis. Mm. So we talked a little bit about autism, but we know that, Applied behavior analysis is much more than just autism, mm-hmm. right? So we want to ensure that, you know, our, our, our Mexican community knows what more we can do. We want mm-hmm. to ensure that they're introduced to organizational behavior management. We want to ensure that they know how to use um, the science to support mental health, right? Mm-hmm. We want to bring a lot of the research that is happening, you know, in, in, in right here with us to to Mexico. Um, and, you know, our long-term goal would be to set those standards to establish um, that Mexican certification of, of mm. behavior analysis to to ensure that people um, are able to do what they want to do and, and that they're not seeking out pseudoscience, that they're mm. not going into areas that, you know, are questionable and mm. um, that they're connected to good research, you know, um, empirical uh, programs and and resources. Mm. So um, I think that ultimately that's our goal, right? Um, to, to be able to support our community and, and to be able to develop um, a platform, right? Where these individuals can, can continue to come back and learn and maintain their certification and expand their knowledge and network. Right. Um, mm-hmm. To eventually be able to to go out and support other individuals and, and, and I guess, you know, be be the best behavior analyst that they, they want to be. So, yeah. no, that's cool. I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering about, too, about sort of things like and I think it's just it's it's early days for you. Right. You know, I mean, uh, I didn't I didn't realize the number was only 14. Um, and so, you know, I, obviously things like creating your own certification or, 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 or getting regulation is so far into the future because first you just need more folks doing it and, and doing it well and, and that sort of thing. So it sounds like, you know, initial goals are like you said, you just to, just to build the, build the community, um, and, and get more folks understanding that this is behavior analysis this might not be, um, and uh, you know this. This and, and here's maybe some different paths to kind of get there, and here's some supports and resources to kind of help you out. Exactly, right on, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um, you know, as far as kind of, and uh, you know, we were talking about this a, a bit before we hit record. Um, so. And it sounds like 
so it sounds like it's been a bit of a positive. And so I, I, I'm going to elaborate on this a bit. So the BACB decided they were going to pull out in 20, they announced it in 2020 and, uh, and that they'd be pulling out by uh, this year. And I think that's this year's it's effective now. Um, and I, and I, and I believe one of you might even said that UMPAC might not, not, not even exist if it weren't for sort of the BACB doing that. So how has the BACB kind of two questions here. One, how is the BC, BACB, you know, stopping certifying, you know, uh, folks in Mexico affected Mexico and affected what you're doing there? Um, and then part two would be kind of, and again, this is something I wasn't aware of, but um, it sounds like the BACB is actually trying to do some things to help you with that sort of transition out. So what, what's that been looking like? I think I can go back to the day where we received that letter. I remember mm. emailing Neil because he had already visited Mexico. So Neil, he's like an angel to us. He, mm. He's helped uh, the, with the establishment of OMPAC. Neil is a director of professional um, international development, director of international development of the BACB. Mm. Previous to that letter, he would go to countries where there were few behavior analysts who wanted to disseminate and he would give out talks and present very cool data about the BACB, who's mm. certified, what you have to do to become certified, promote mm. the certification and things like that. Mm. So we did one of those. Um, Janet and Barso came here to, to Monterrey and then we also went to Mexico City and we did something similar with um, UNAM. And that was very, that was very helpful. And that was his, his role. So he came to Mexico and then he went to another country and another country and another country. So he, he's so well connected. And I want to point out, he's always so quick in his responses. So, and even though he's in the UK. So we received that letter and I remember I sent him an email. Neil, am I reading this right? What's going on? And of course, I make fun of him. We're good friends now, mm. uh, but sometimes he's so cold and he responds like, didn't you read the letter? <laughs> uh, he almost attached it again, like that's all the information. Um, and I know he did podcasts and interviews, many, many interviews, because a lot of questions came up out of that letter. But since that moment, I remember he said, my role is going to change. So now I am going to be responsible of supporting these countries to develop their own credential system, mm. their own national organization. And going back to what I said earlier, Barso and I uh, had this talk in 2015, and I know connecting it with your other question about how it impacts to these Mexican community. Mm -hmm. We felt the pressure and everyone who was in the process of getting certified because they gave us like a two-year window, everyone moved quickly to get certified. Mm. And I don't have the exact exact data, but I know the numbers went up in those two years. We we didn't have 14. The number was lower. And I know from uh mm. direct connections of people who were delaying the process and said, I need to do it. So that's on the side of the person. And as far as the association, 
we were like, we have to do it. We have the BACV support. And that's when we started talking with Janet, with Tanya, with Berenice, with everyone who is part of OMPAC today. And since that moment, Neil was part of our initial meetings. He mm. gave us guidance. He was doing this with, I think, one of the first organizations who, who got well-established and they did it pretty quickly was France. And mm. they are doing a great job. They had it difficult because psychoanalysis was super strong mm. there, but they have a very, very strong community now. And he connected us with them. He gave us many examples. Mm. He offered to do presentations. I mean, that type of support and coming from the BACB. And I mean, it had a lot of impact, at least on our audience. So yes, it was uh, the silver lining of that moment where mm -hmm. we received that sad letter. And whenever we hear people... Um, because I remember last year in a conference, right, Janet, where we presented, they were like, I mean, I, I don't understand why the BACB that, did that to you. Mm -hmm. And at least I, me, I don't feel it personal because otherwise we would have been promoting international certification rather than focusing on creating resources and, and, and doing things in Spanish and more accessible for the Mexican mm. community who may be interested in mm. practicing behavior analysis. Mm. This, this worked out for us. I mean, this, for us, this really made us stronger, I think, behavior analysts, and it also pushed us to reach out to other countries. So this also became an opportunity for us to learn about what was going on in other places, you know, network with phenomenal behavior analysts that were not, you know, in our backyard, um, and really think about how to practice behavior analysis from a culturally, you know, relevant standard, right? And, and if we really want to talk about culturally responsive um, programs and services, this, this is what I think it is, you know, um, reaching out to our communities, reaching out um, to other practitioners and professionals and listening to what challenges and what struggles they have and making sure that we can develop, right, and create those programs and those standards that reflect their values. So I think this is the best way to be able to establish something that is representative of our community. Um, so we're, thought, we're thankful and grateful. I mean, it's been a, it's been a lot of work. <laughs> Um, and it, and I, and we know, and we recognize that it will be, but I, I don't think we would want to do it with anyone else, but each other, um, we're able to learn a lot from each other. Uh, we have a great organization. Our members are fantastic. Um, and we're again, like just incredibly grateful that, that we have all of that support. I also think, sorry to, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to add like, because I think about this a lot, but I also think the BACB may have been using um, ABA principles. I mean, there has to be something because they completely changed our motivation to start this. And this is not only happening in Mexico. We did a webinar with Neil, I think a month or two months ago, right? And 
there are so many countries that he's they, they are supporting and I mean changing laws just at many different levels that we couldn't even imagine so I'm sure they had like another purpose I, I, that's the way I want to see it yeah there there is beautiful impactful work happening across the globe in public policy right in making different types of um, just like connections, right, and partnerships. Um, so I, I think it has worked out. I think now it's just going back and following up with everyone's stories and hoping that they share their stories um, because this is this is what we need. Um, and this is what fills you, right? Like it, it, it makes everything worthwhile. It makes, you know, the two-year <laughs> process uh, to and a half year process worthwhile for us. Um, and, you know, we've had great opportunities also to have other people reach out to us and say, hey, can, can you tell us what, what you guys started doing? Because we're having these challenges in Chile or we're having these, you know, concerns about Argentina. And, you know, um, so again, you know, I think we feel like it's it's just another way to grow and to make those connections and to be able to impact um, our diverse communities and introduce them to our science. Right on. I imagine, you know, national certification is definitely a ways down the road. Um, uh, in the meantime, our, our, our folks seeking out some of these other kind of now international certifications like the IBAO and the QABA. And I don't know if there's any more like that. Has that been, have you seen that happening at all or? Yes. Yes. We have seen it since the announcement of the board. Mm. I think that I have heard about more people that are, some of them were actually like in the middle, but they didn't, they couldn't finish uh, mm. like the process. So now they are trying to see if they can take some part of what they were already doing and mm, and mm. and try to apply for a different uh, certification. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yes, I have heard that uh, some people are trying to are are going to to those certifications like mm. Ivao, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, it'd be interesting to see sort of how because I know some of those certifications and, and you know we don't have time to kind of dive deep into this stuff but i know some of those certifications they have very different requirements for you know what's what one needs to sort of get a credential and so i imagine you'll have to by the time you're at a point of developing a certification you'll have to be thinking about sort of you know how to do this inclusively when you have folks that are looking at this from the BACB sort of lens, you look looking at the IBAO lens and the QABA lens, and essentially you're going to have sort of three different types of behavior analysts, you know, working in the same country, all who had different levels of training and different requirements and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that this is a question you need to answer right now. I feel like this is a question I want to ask you in five years. Um, you know, about sort of how, how, to, how to put that all together as, as sort of folks, you know, try to develop a national credential at the same time as having a, of a, having, you know, some of these international ones. I guess my worry is that, 
you know, and, and I'm glad you talk about the cultural adaptation and the cultural sort of considerations when creating these things. Cause my worry is that, you know, the BACB's sort of design of things fit well in the U S but it may not work in other countries anyway. And maybe that's part of, part of the reason, one of the reasons why they also pulled out is because it's just, Absolutely. Just can't sort of support those things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you talked about um, um, kind of some of your goals and, and the mission and and some of the things you're kind of working on, but you also talked about just sort of, you know, building that community. So what kinds of things have you put on so far and what kinds of things are coming up? We should say it in in at the same time. First conference. <laughs> Yeah, we our first conference is a big one, right? Yes, that's where our our time and effort and energy is going these past weeks. So in August 17 and 18, it, we're mm. gonna have a two day conference. It's gonna be the very first mm. in Oaxaca. Okay. So everyone's invited. We have. Uh, English-speaking presenters and Spanish-speaking presenters, but we are working on um, having something in place so that the English-speaking audience can understand the Spanish-speaking ones and vice versa. Wow. So, cool. yeah, so everyone's welcome. We recently got ACE approved. Yay! Nice. So we're going <laughs> to offer continuing education credits for all those behavior analysts that are excited to mm -hmm. to come visit because yep. that has been the response we've gotten and and we're so excited mm. uh maybe Barso and Janet can fill in the, in the response of the presenters or the topics that we're covering the third secret word is international yes yeah, so uh, we have uh, people from Mexico obviously so, for example, we have a, a Dr. Fabiola Vargas Londoño. A, we have some OMPAC founding members, Berenice de la Cruz, mm. a, Gabriela Lopez Davila, who had a lot of experience in behavior analysis at different uh, areas. Mm. And a, we also have people a, from the USA. For example, we have Bill Hayward. Mm. A, we have Robert Pennington, uh, Janet Twyman, uh, Jonathan Fernand, and of course, as Mariana already said, we have uh, Neil Martin also uh, coming uh, for the conference. So it's going to be a very uh, broad and rich conference, uh, rich mm. in content. Uh, we will cover several uh, topics such as um, education and feeding problems, uh, autism, so different uh, uh, applications. That's fantastic. So that's coming up in August. Uh, and so if folks uh, say wanted to just kind of either learn more about Unpack, join, come to the conference, where 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 would they go? Yeah, so we would love to have everyone as um, members, anyone who is interested. So you can visit our website at ompac.mx. Mm -hmm. um, that is our website. And you can also follow us on Instagram 
Um, and we can put all that information for you then and you can share that. We have an Instagram account. We also have a Facebook account. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. We have recently started launching webinars hmm. um, for our members. And so we had a webinar, was it two weeks ago, I believe? It was maybe about two weeks ago. Cool. And so our founding members are incredibly gracious with their time and their knowledge. And they um, provided a webinar about two weeks ago, basic strategies for implementation, right? Um, and so we'll be having these uh, throughout um, the rest of the year mm. in which we'll be presenting on YouTube. You'll be able to watch this on YouTube and you can always go back and watch um, the webinar, you know, if you don't have time to watch it live. Um, so we're excited about the conference. We're excited about the webinars. We will certainly have more opportunities to um, support education and application of behavior analysis. Uh, we are echo trained in um, the ECHO model of education. So we'll be having uh, opportunities to um, join our ECHO cohorts, which is pretty much um, a project-based learning type of opportunity in which you're able to participate in case studies, right? And um, be able to really engage with a hub of experts that can support your learning. Um, So we're excited about what the future holds. And we would love to, again, invite you guys to visit our website um, and contact us if you all have further questions or if there's anything that we can do to support your community or yourselves, or if you just want to be involved. I think that we are always, um, you know, needing volunteers and support. Um, so we would we would love that, too. Right on. Well, that's wicked. Um well, thanks, thanks for the three for coming on and sharing about UMPAC and talking about what's been happen- happening in Mexico and uh, excited to see what's going to be happening uh, in the future and uh, look forward to hearing about the conference and, and, and how it all went and uh, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be following closely. It's exciting. Thank you so much, Ben, for giving us a time and space to talk about this weekend. I'm sure the three of us can continue talking all day. <laughs> yes, for sure. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Thank Thanks. you.